family and parenting and this family of families. Uh, today we're going to talk about, if you haven't kind of got the vibe yet, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and specifically how to be a spirit-led spouse. And I'll explain that in a second. I, I, I have to tell you, I am like on a, on a marriage wedding high this week. I had my, uh, Kim and I celebrated our 25th anniversary. We went away last Sunday, like what, when service was over, as soon as we could, we got out of town for a couple of days. It was great. Came back. And then on Friday, I did a wedding and it's, it was kind of crazy because it was a wedding for, uh, as close to a son as I have that's not biological, uh, uh, these two great kids, Ryan and Justin. But it was so crazy because here I am doing the wedding of my best friend's kid. And I'm standing back in this hallway getting ready to come out. I'm thinking, wow, 25 years ago, I was standing here with his dad. And his dad was my best man. And then uh, two months later, I was his best man. And now I'm standing here with his son about to walk out and we're going to do this thing. And it was uh, incredible. So I'm kind of floating around, just really excited by this. And uh, just I've been spending the last couple of months thinking about marriage and family. And, and uh, you know, when it comes to marriage, especially, I think uh, people are looking constantly looking for a silver bullet. Something. What's the one thing? What's the one thing that you could say or you could do that would change everything? It would, it would change really the dynamic of our relationship. And uh, some people tell you it's communication. Got to learn how to communicate. Someone else will tell you it's conflict resolution. You got to learn how to fight well. You got to learn how, you're going to have conflict. So learn the skills to have good conflict resolution. Some will tell you, no, it's love language. Learn, learn the, your love languages of giving and receiving. You, you, go on Amazon. You will see there's a hundred thousand different answers to that question. So uh, in all my study over the last couple of months, one thing really uh, stood out to me. I, uh, uh, an idea about two months ago that I was so intrigued by that I want to share it with you today. And it's this idea. It is, if there was one thing, if there was a, a silver bullet, if we want to call it that, that would be helpful to us, it was this. Two people living in the Spirit, loving one another. Two people living in the Spirit, loving one another. Uh, learning, learning how to conquer, as the Bible says, conquer a power in our life selfishness, self-centeredness, and, and learning instead to, instead of living by our own self, to be led by God's spirit. And so I, I really began to think a, a lot about this and realized this is an interesting thing to think about in the Christian life. But if I take this principle and I apply it to my marriage, man, this has something very powerful to say. And so for the last couple of months, I've been really trying to think about uh, this, this, this battle that goes on in us as Christians. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, maybe, maybe this illustration will help you. Think back to the Wright brothers. So you remember in uh, 1903, the Wright brothers, the very first flight that took place. And something is happening here. Uh, on the one hand, they are conquering a power. Uh, the, the, the law of gravity, this power that kind of forces us down, right? But on the other hand, they are discovering a power, the law of flight. And they're learning how to soar past this, this force that is pushing them down. And when you think about the Christian life, there is something very true to this. As we've been singing, as we've been thinking about this life being led by God's spirit, it's important that you understand that on the one hand, there is a force that is holding you down. The Bible calls it your flesh. It is, it is, and we'll talk about this in a second, but it, just kind of a simple way, it is your own 
selfishness. It's your own selfish desires. It's your own self-righteousness. It is, it's all about me. It's your rebellion against God. And the Spirit, on the other hand, is what, when, when we come to faith in Christ, how God's Spirit fills our life. And now we have this, there, there's this battle that takes place where we used to fight against God. Now we're fighting against this old nature. And we're learning to live uh, with God against those old, old natures. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I'm, I'm going to show you a principle of just the Christian life. Okay, very, very important principle of the Christian life. And I want to ask you to do this. First, apply it to marriage if you're married. Now, if you're singles, this is super helpful because you're going to look at this and go, okay, you realize uh, this is super helpful to think about the kind of spouse that I might be someday. But I think you can do this. This is a principle of the Christian life, not just of marriage. And so you can take this and and you can uh, apply this to family friendship. Uh, you'll see just about any area of your life. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So here's a big idea I want to encourage you to look at. So we're going to talk, we're going to look at this specifically through the lens of marriage, this big Christian idea or Christian living idea. But here it is. To have a great marriage, don't focus on fixing your spouse. Focus on walking in the spirit. Don't focus on fixing your spouse. Focus on walking in the spirit. I, I, our, our previous pastor, a friend and a mentor of mine, Vic Gordon, every time he would talk about marriage, he would always stress this one idea that I thought was brilliant. He'd always stress, don't focus on fixing your spouse. And you're going to be tempted to do that when we do this today as I'm going to take you through some stuff because you're going to go, that's why he's like this or that's why. Okay, so don't do that. Your responsibility today is to listen to this and go, hey, that's why I do that. That's why I cause chaos uh, in our marriage or, or in, our, in my friendships or in, my, uh, uh, in our family. So I want you to think about this. But this so this is what we're going to look at. We're going to think about what it looks like to be a spirit-led spouse. And, uh, and so we're going to think about how do, I, how do you know whether or not you're living in your old flesh, your old ways, your old selfishness, or you're living by the Spirit. And how do I avoid this old pattern and this old way? And how do I seize the opportunity to live in this new way? How do I fly? How do I soar by living in the Spirit? So here's what I need you to do. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. It's one of the best passages in the Bible. It teaches us this this idea. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 13. Now in this letter... The Apostle Paul was writing to a church who felt that they needed the law. They needed the rules to control their lives. Uh, the, the fear was if we just live by grace and forgiveness, then we're going to live these un, unrestrained lives. And so there was this idea that, okay, Jesus, yes, and grace, yes, but let's add to that law and rules and all these other things, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get it right. And he says there's a better way. There's a better way than just keeping these rules, keeping these laws. And the better way is walking with the Spirit. So let's notice what he says here, starting in verse 13, uh, page 1171. He writes this. He says, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. We'll talk about that in a second. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed uh, by 
by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, I want you to try to do something. So married folks, here's, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to, to look at these two lists. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Which list best characterizes your marriage? Or would you want to characterize your marriage? Okay, so let's put the flesh list up there, uh, up on the screen. So you see the, this list of things. You see there are things, there are sexual sins, uh, immorality, impurity. There's just kind of this uh, boldness to kind of a, a, last, a lack of restraint for sexual desire. You see religious sins like idolatry and witchcraft, this idea of worshiping things other than God. Uh, the word witchcraft is kind of interesting. It's uh, the Greek word uh, pharmakeia, which we get the word pharmacy. So back in these days, these magical potions, doesn't mean you can't uh, have medications, things like that. But it, uh, you realize that for some of us, that the, the idea could be to medicate our problems instead of deal with them. You see these, these sins that create dis, uh, divisiveness. So hatred, jealousy. Uh, ambition, this, not just ambition, selfish ambition, envy. So you see these things that you go, you start looking at these things and you go, it's a little uncomfortable. Now look at the spirit list. We have things like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I don't think I have to ask you which you would prefer, but if I asked you which, which list seems to capture where you're at right now, you'd go, this is a little of both. I think all of us that are in a relationship would say, yeah, it's a little of both. There's some selfish ambition in there. There's some impurity in there. There's some fits of rage in there. There's some stuff that I don't like seeing put on a screen in front of everybody and acknowledging that that's me. But there are moments, it seems, when God really is in control. And in those moments, yeah, there is this love that is beyond romance. And there's patience and kindness. 
there's self-control. There's, there's these good things that just seem to emerge when God is just there at the center and leading us. Okay, so let's think about this. So Paul says this, what then is your problem? What is our problem? Why do we find ourselves going towards the one nature, our old nature, instead of living in this new nature? He says this, he goes, our problem is we live in the flesh. We're living by our flesh. And so this is the issue in our marriage. It's the issue in our relationships, is that, in, our, in, our, in our Christian life, is that we go back. So, here's what you, so let me help you understand this idea of flesh. Before you were a Christian, the flesh is what controlled you. It's, it's, it's just how you were. So this Greek word sarks, it, re, it refers to the sinful state of us as human beings. It's, it's this power that's in us that's in opposition to God. It is our, our whole person, body, soul, and spirit, everything about us in rebellion to God. And so before we were Christians, before the Spirit of God took residence in our heart, you were controlled by these in this influence, this, the, these desires, this selfish desire. You were rebelling against God and God's ways. You were fighting against who you were created to be. And when you became a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, something happened. Jesus and you entered into a relationship that was pretty amazing. I mean, it's not just that your worldview changed and you started to believe things intellectually about God, but when you surrendered your life and you surrendered your heart to him, something happened. Not only did you, by your faith, did he wipe away your sins and not count them against you. Not only did he, he, he put you in this place where you are right before him, but, but he, want, he entered into your life. And this is a rather powerful thing. It's not just that God wants to be near you, it's not just that he wants you to experience his presence. Like you could say, you know, when I come here and we, we, we sing that song and, and, and it feels just right. I just feel like I'm near God. No, he entered into your life. God doesn't want to just be near you. He enters into your heart, into your life. Your entire heart at one point was united in this direction of self. And now into your heart comes something new, something strange, something foreign. Into your heart comes God's spirit. And now there's this desire in you for holiness and, and for the will of God and for the, 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 to yearn after the things that please God. And so now you realize where I used to be battling against God, now I'm battling against that old person. And instead of battling against God, I'm battling with God. He is here to help me. And so you're not fighting God anymore. Actually, you're fighting your old self with God's help. So Paul wants you to see, here's, that's your problem. That there's a part of you that wants to still live contrary to who God wants you to be. There's that, that part is still in you. It just doesn't have the same control it used to have anymore. You now have the ability to fly, to soar, to move past that. Now, this is, this is huge. This is a game changer for us. Now, let me say this to those of you who are here today who have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and however it is that God led you here, what he is inviting you towards is to come to him, to believe, not just to change your view about him, but to say, to say yes to him, to let him enter into your life. His desire is beyond just to forgive your sins. It's to, 
it's to save you. It's to, it's to make you alive now and forever for himself, to be in relationship with him. And so he invites you into this. You don't have to rebel against. You don't have to be controlled by these desires any longer. You don't have to be controlled. You have to be rebel against God. He's inviting you to be in relationship with him. Now, those of you who have made this decision, you're saying, yeah, why? I, I feel this tug of war that goes on in my heart. So what do I do about it? He, Paul says, notice he says, there's two things that we do. Number one, our solution is that we walk in the spirit. We walk in the spirit. Walking in the spirit refers to a lifestyle. It means that when he says walking, it means that our life is being transformed by God's spirit. So God's spirit is now leading us. And this is important. Everything you need to do this, you now have. When you came to faith, when God's spirit entered into you, it's not that you have to, you don't have to read a book. You don't have to, God's spirit is in you. It's just learning how to stay, as he says, stay in step, walk in step, let his spirit lead you and, and doing what it is that he's inviting you to do. Some of you have noticed this. I, I, I was thinking about this with my wife. When I see my wife, Kimberly, walking in the spirit, I see things like, I see peace. This, this peace that he talks about. Uh, Paul would talk in another place. He would talk about this peace that surpasses understanding. Kim becomes prayerful. She becomes discerning to God's will. And there's a peace, even when they're incredibly difficult decisions for us to make. But she has a peacefulness to it to say, I know this is going to be hard. I just... I know she's walking in the spirit. She's listening to God. She's being in his presence. She just knows there's a sense of this is what we need to do. There's this peacefulness that is there in her heart. I see goodness when she is led by the spirit. When, when the spirit of God is leading her life, she just wants good things. Good things for us. Good things for people. I always joke about Kim and I how different we are um, if there was a burning building, I always use this as an example. If there was a burning building, I would stand outside of it and I would try to be strategic at what would be the right entry place and what would be the right exit strategy and, and how to get past everything. By the time I figured out the strategy, Kim would be holding like the kitten and a baby and th- four other people that she dragged out of the building. You know, uh, they're all dusty and stuff. She just runs into trouble without f- care of herself because she d- pursues things that are good and right. When we walk in the spirit, there's just something quite beautiful about the kind of person we become. And then you start thinking about this, the kind of spouse you could become. The kind of parent you could become. The kind of friend you could become. The kind of follower you could become. Now, if you're like me, I say, well, I want to do that. I want to do that more. I want to be more like that and less like this guy because this guy is selfish and this guy wants his way all the time. So how do, I, how do I do that? How do I live more here and less here? Notice what Paul says at the very end of the passage. He says this, you have to crucify your flesh. You have to crucify your flesh. Now, if I told you, if I came up to you and pointed at you and said, I'm going to crucify you. You would not like turn to me for a hug, right? You would be like, you'd be threatened by that. That is a rather dynamic thing to say. It's very strong language. So I want you to take a moment to think about this. What Paul is asking you to do is not a tame thing. 
He's saying this part of you, you can't allow it to exist any longer. You can't say, well, everyone's like this in some way. He doesn't want you to shrug your shoulders and pass it off and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as this person. He says, no, figure out what it is, hate it, crucify it, okay? Kill it. Now, here's the good thing he teaches in all this is that God is in it with you. He will, he will be with it. Uh, with you in it. It is about rejecting this old nature and that is painful. That will not be uh, uh, easy. And when he says crucifixion, you have to realize this is a very decisive action. Crucifixion was a lingering death. It was a certain death. If you were a criminal and you were nailed to a cross, you were going to die. You were not going to survive. One scholar says it this way. He says, uh, this idea of crucifixion, he says, crucifixion produced death, not suddenly, but gradually. And so true Christians do not succeed in completely destroying the flesh here below. But what they have done is they fixed it to the cross and they are determined to keep it there until it expires. See, in verse 24, he says, crucify your flesh. Now, in chapter 2, he says, look, I've been crucified with Christ. There he says, something was done to me. I was brought into the, the beauty of the cross. I received all of its, uh, its benefits I received when I came to faith in Christ. Now he's saying something different. He's not saying something was done to you. He's now telling you to do something. He's telling you to crucify it. And so we need to look and we need to ask the Spirit of God to illuminate to us, show me these patterns in my life, these selfish patterns, these, this, this thing that makes me turn to fits of rage or lust or, or, uh, or, or hatred or, or drunkenness. What, what is it that makes me do these things? And when the Spirit of God shows us these things, we see it. And, when we, and, I, and I will tell you this, when you see it, just as you might have saw in the list a little bit, man, it is, there's nothing fun about it. And he says, yeah, you know that feeling, that sixth sense in your stomach you see, you feel when you see that stuff? It's because you hate that part of you. So don't allow that part of you to, to keep existing. Crucify it. So how do we do this? I, so I, here's what I want to do. I want to give you homework, if that's okay. Boo. Um, I, want you, I want you to think about this. If, if you can learn, think about this. If your spouse, if I could learn what it is that I tend to do or why it is I tend to do this, and I could say, I don't want this anymore. And, and, and the Spirit of God is saying, and guess what? You don't have to. I will help you. I will fight with you. And I will show you how to keep in step with me so the things that you produce in life aren't all this chaos, but instead the things that you were truly searching after. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. All these good things that we want. So here's what, uh, so a couple months ago, thinking through this and, and came, I was listening to uh, sermons and reading uh, articles and books and all these kinds of things. And I came across one guy, his name's Pete Briscoe. He's a pastor in Dallas. And, and he, 
he took this part of it and he put it into some themes. And if you take out your note page, you'll see it on the back of the note page. Now, this is these things on the back of your note page. And if you're listening to the podcast, you'll have to email me at bills at beachpoint.com and I'll send it to you. But this list on the back, this is not in the Bible. Okay, this is just someone's attempt to kind of look and say, hey, here's some patterns we find ourselves in. And it's kind of like the end of that list and the rest that this is not exhaustive. So I did it. Here's what I did. I took this list and I wanted to test it. And so I took it to uh, a group of our staff. There's about 10 of us in the room and I handed it to them. And I said, uh, which of these things do you see acting out in your marriage? And I could, it was funny watching their faces because they started to kind of smirk a little bit. And then they're kind of was like, kind of uncomfortable. And so we started giving some situations. Like, what if this happened in your marriage? I give them a, a situation. I said, what if this happened? What part of this would start coming out in your marriage? And it was fascinating discussion as we started to realize. And, and where it ended was this. I hate that part of me. I'm embarrassed by that part of me. I want to kill that part of me. And you realize this, this part, these patterns, this flesh part, this old nature, this selfishness, this self-righteousness uh, part of me is what creates all the chaos in my marriage. It's what creates all the chaos in my family. It creates all the chaos in my spiritual life. But if I can see these things and I can identify them and then I can crucify these things. Now, I'm going to lose you a little bit. This is like every professor's worst nightmare, right? You hand the syllabus and I, I, you won't hear a word I say the last three minutes. Let me give you an example. Of so here's what I want you to do. I want, I want to encourage you. Take the list in Galatians 5, these lists. Take this, if it's helpful. I want you to pray and say, spend some time this week. God, will you help me see by your Holy Spirit the, the patterns I fall into when I'm living in my flesh. And, and if you notice some of those, those things, those patterns, you can look really good living out some of those things. People will, you'll, you'll impress people with some of those things. The, the trouble is, if you, if you dig down deep to some of those patterns, what you realize is, it is at the very heart of it, what motivates it is selfishness. It is self-righteousness. It is all about me. It's about my kingdom and not his. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about this. And I want you to, if you have the boldness, I want you to to be able to say to your spouse, "This, this is what I think I struggle with. Now, you hopefully are not writing your spouse's initials next to some of these already, okay? Right? The big idea is don't fix your spouse, fix you. But here's the truth. Your spouse can already smell these things in you. And these things stink. They know, and they're very good at, at uh, affirming what God is probably showing you. Think about the last fight you had, or what's causing chaos, or what's causing stress. Let me give you an example from our family. So sometimes, and I know none of your family struggle with this, sometimes the Stafiris can't get control of our family schedule. Okay? We are rushing, we are tired, we are like moving, we never stop. Now, I will just, don't judge me, but I will just show you from three of these things, three of these things for me. So sometimes we are in this chaos because I struggle with the, as you see, one of the descriptions, pleaser fresh. 
a pleaser flesh. I, I can't say no. I say yes to all kinds of invitations and all kinds of opportunities. Not because I'm a good guy, but because I want you to like me. Okay, to see the difference there. Not because I prayerfully discern this is what God's asked me to do, but I just don't know if I can handle saying no. And if you don't like me, you see the, the problem with that? It's not, you guys see the good guy. Oh, Bill is always there for me. I'm like, I just am a mess. Or sometimes our family schedule is out of control because Bill has performance flesh. Stafiris win. We drive. We work, we work hard, we climb the ladder. We don't stop until we win. And sometimes my kids and my wife are like, seriously, stop, stop running, slow down. And why are we working harder? Because we want to show better. It has nothing to do with achieving the greatness of God. I just, I know when it's at its worst, it's just itself, itself or religious flesh. Got to do these things because that's what good Christian families do. That's what pastor families do. And if we don't do it, then how can I ask anybody else to do it? Okay, again, you see, if I dig down deep and say the motive, unfortunately, the motive is in that old part of me instead of being led by God's spirit. So when I started looking at these things, I was like, so for the last two months, I've been trying to think through why Why did I let this chaos get, how did it get chaotic like this? And then I was able to see back, man, I I am just still stuck in these patterns. And so now that I see it and I hate it, I'm I'm doing my best with God's help to, to crucify it and have it be gone. And so I want to encourage you, stop trying to fix your spouse, ask God to reveal these things. I, I you know, I, I will probably this week, one of the things I'll do is take the last two songs we just sung. You'll see the list at the end of the service that Brian and Sandra picked. I'll probably spend some time listening to those again and just asking, reveal, Lord, reveal these things. Let me see these things so I can be the, the man I'm supposed to be. I can be the husband I'm supposed to be. I can be the father I'm supposed to be. I can be the friend I'm supposed to be. I can have the life in you I'm supposed to have. And so show me where in my flesh I'm living, I'm struggling, and help me nail that old life to the cross. So here's how I want us to close. So we're trying to move our lives from selfishness to selflessness. I, I, one thing I've discovered through all the marital counseling I've done, I would tell you probably the vast majority of the marital counseling problems are related to selfishness one way or another. You can trace it back to selfishness. And so in these last minutes in our service, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk you through the most selfless thing that was ever done in the history of the world. You are so loved by God that he sent into this world his one and only son. That even when we rebelled, even in our selfishness, when we rebelled from him, in a very selfless act, God sent his son. In a very selfless act, the son, by his own volition by his own choosing came into this world. Philippians 2 tells us that he humbled himself. He laid down his rights. 
He took on flesh. He became a servant and gave his life and death, even death on a cross. The most selfless act in the history of the world was when the Son of God entered into this world and on your behalf took your sin upon himself and he was the one nailed to the cross. You and I were supposed to be the one nailed and he took our punishment upon himself and by his wounds we are healed. And so now he has been raised and he has been glorified. And you and I, as we've come to faith, as we've seen how good our God is, and we have given him our lives, because we know he is the best person to have our lives. We've come to him in faith, and and, and he has applied all that his son has done to our account. We who are poor are now rich, and we have life now and forever with him. So Jesus gave us something to remind us of that sacrifice, of that selflessness, and and what he did on the last night of his life to to help them understand what was about to happen and what the church has celebrated since then is he took, they were having a meal, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he passed it, and he said to those that were sitting there, he said, this bread represents my body, which is being broken for you. Take and eat And remember me. And then he took a cup and he passed it and he said, This cup represents my blood that is being shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink and remember me. And so, in just a moment, the ushers are going to come, they're going to pass you trays, and I'm going to encourage you to grab, grab down. There's two two cups that are double cupped together. Grab them both. And in just a moment, I want to invite you to just take a few moments quietly to remember the selfless act of of Jesus Christ on your behalf, what he did for you. And and there you can can not only recognize and say, please, Lord, help me break through these, these struggles, these patterns. You know he is willing to do anything to help you. When we take this bread and we drink this cup, we, we remind ourselves of his death until he comes again. And so use this opportunity to be thankful of this selfless act of God on your behalf. Take this opportunity to say, Lord, I need your help. Because I don't want to be selfish and I don't want to be ruled by my, my old nature. I want to be led by your spirit. And let this be a chance for you. In some sense, we call this communion. and It is a time for you to commune with God. And then we'll sing some songs to close out the service. As you're ready, eat and drink. Uh, and if you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, this is, this is a ceremony that Christians celebrate. We have since uh, uh, that very first meal that Jesus passed us. Uh, but I would invite you that this can be your moment. This can be your day in which you begin a life with Jesus. And so as the tray is passed, if you aren't sure if you're ready, just grab the cup and place it in a little cup holder in front of you. And if today you feel the Spirit of God saying, you hear the voice of God saying to you, come to me. Trust me. Put your life in my hands. I promise I will take care of you. Then tell him, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to begin this life with you. 
come into my life, come into my heart, fill my life with your spirit. And he will hear that prayer. And when you are ready for the first time with God's spirit now dwelling within you, you take that little piece of bread, you take that cup and you remember what Jesus did. He died so that you could live. Thank him for that. And thank him that you're beginning today a brand new life with him. And so let's pray. Jesus, it is our desire to be like you and take on your your nature. And so as we are reminded by your selflessness on our behalf, the life we have now because of you, the life we now have, your spirit in us because of what you've done for us, even now fill our hearts with such gratitude, such awareness of your presence in us, with us, uh, that we are excited to become the people you want us to be, the spouse, the friend, the parent, the person you want us to be. So be blessed by this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, eat and drink.